1: Everybody, Doc Brian here, and welcome to Doc Talks of DX, where we talk specifically about diagnoses and and how they relate to people's stories and their mental health. And once again, I have Lexi Lamie with me, and hopefully, you've listened to her podcast or her episode. I guess you may have your podcast. You have you have your own podcast.
0: I don't, but I would like to. Yeah,
1: well, maybe you should just mm-hmm. just jump out there and do it. Right. Uh, and so, uh, hopefully, you've listened to that episode and are following us here, because t- you might not understand what we're talking about here. Uh, so, hopefully, you've done that. So, Lexi, thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us here today, oh, of and, and and to do this. So, one of the first things that that I want to ask is, and and the reason I ask this is because in the first. You you made the statement, I don't think my mom would ever listen to this, so I'm going to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. When you went to those therapists at 10 to 11 years old, did you tell them that part of the truth?
0: No. And I think partly because I didn't realize that it was reality.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that just knowing that aspect Would have led to a different diagnosis. Sure. Other than just anxiety, because there is a difference, Mm. and a lot of people don't understand this. um, But anxiety as a diagnosis is different than anxiety as a symptom, because a lot of times we can have anxiety that is due to like bipolar disorder, as opposed to just having a generalized anxiety disorder where. Your anxiety is the diagnosis as opposed to where you're talking with bipolar anxiety as a side effect or a symptom of mm. that. So in, in your case, there would probably be, and once again, I'm not, this is not a diagnosis. This mm-hmm. isn't This isn't saying anybody was wrong and I'm right. Nothing like right, that. We're right, just right. exploring here. Sure, yeah. Uh, kind of uh, using the word pigeonholing and what this could be. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, which you're familiar with what PTSD is, mm-hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder. There is a new subcategory of PTSD that is C-PTSD, and it is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And what that is, is where with PTSD, there is a traumatic event that takes place. For instance, 9-11. And a lot of people were diagnosed with PTSD after Mm -hmm. 9-11 or uh, veterans that were coming back from war. It was the wartime that caused that traumatic event. And sometimes even one issue that happened while they were at war that led to that traumatic event. But complex PTSD is where there was a series of traumatic events over a period of time. And so we get into this uh, thought of your childhood of of there being some uh, indiscretions with an uncle, and there being constant uh, fighting in the home between your parents, and and even even to a a point of where a deep rooted unconscious feeling of inadequacy because your real dad isn't there. Mm. And, you know, and, and while we would, you may say, well, that was never an issue. I had a dad. And, but in our subconscious, that is kind of down there in that inadequacy. Yeah. And then it all kind of perpetuates into this snowball of complex PTSD For or sure. attachment disorders or uh, anything in that, that sort of uh, spectrum. Um, and so when we got to an anxiety disorder... What I heard from you is that there was always a trigger. Mm -hmm. It was always something that led to this anxiety. And so one thing that we have to realize is that there is a difference between anxiety and panic. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people use those terms, you know, opposite of each other. Mm -hmm. I had a panic attack or I had an anxiety attack. So the difference is anxiety is triggered. There is something that causes that anxiety, leaving your shoes in the locker room. Mm-hmm. That's that is an anxiety attack, breaking out in hives, uh, being short of breath, having the mm-hmm. heaviness in your chest, anxiety. A panic attack is when there is no precursor. Uh, there is no trigger, it just happens. Mm-hmm. And so that tells me that that your anxiety was rooted in a event that took place as opposed to a panic of being imbalanced, Mm. you know, within, within chemically. Mm. Now you, yes, you can have a chemical imbalance and anxiety. You can, you know, in anything that's, that's essentially what any Mm -hmm. mental illness on a medical level boils down to. Mm -hmm. But to, to, to describe that When we put all of this together, that's why it's so important to tell your therapist everything. You know, Mm -hmm. there's three people you never lie to: your preacher, your doctor, and your accountant. You just, and there may be a fourth: your lawyer. You don't ever lie to your lawyer, your preacher, your doctor, or your accountant. Like you
0: shouldn't, or people just don't.
1: No, you should not. You shouldn't to
0: your preacher, to your attorney. Your accountant and your therapist. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, because just, I mean, That's one good. one little minor detail.
0: Changes it Could all. change everything. For sure.
1: And, you know, even in the thought process of, okay, you're diagnosed with depression. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I've got depression. You're put on some kind of antidepressant. Well, now it's gone on for a year that you're depressed and they say, oh, well, you've got a major depressive disorder. And then you're hit with oh i have a disorder mm-hmm. but the only difference is the amount of time that you've had it mm-hmm. It wasn't that your original diagnosis was wrong it's that over time because of the feature of the of the time the diagnosis changes so uh, it's very important to always be honest with your therapist anybody that that is working with you in your mental health uh, because a lot of times, I don't know if you've had this phenomenon happen while mm. you are in in counseling or therapy, is you'll sit there and talk about something and all of a sudden you will say something that actually did happen, but you're like, where did that come from?
2: Mm-hmm. Or
1: I don't ever remember talking about that, but yeah, now that I said it, that really did happen.
0: Yeah, I've for sure experienced that now that I'm older, so I still see a therapist regularly, mm-hmm. um, probably once every two to three weeks, and mm-hmm. I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. There's something about just being able to talk, just mm-hmm. and and that helps you recognize reality, a- too. And
1: knowing that you're safe. Yes. And knowing if they repeat anything you say, that you could own their practice and everything that they have. Yeah, that little thing called HIPAA.
0: That's nice.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it is so, which not just with your therapist, but with your medical doctors, tell them the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, uh, because you can get directed in a way that that really isn't going to help you and in some ways could harm mm-hmm. what, what you're doing. You know, for instance, I, I found it unique that you were taking uh, Xanax mm-hmm. and Adderall. Mm-hmm. Were you prescribed Adderall? Or, or was that just something that you took?
0: I had gotten prescribed Ritalin because mm-hmm. I manipulated the doctor into giving it to me. But um, no, I was getting, I was buying
1: Adderall from people. Okay. buying well, even, selling. I mean, even with Ritalin, you're you're on the same kind of thing with Ritalin, mm-hmm. Vivance or or Adderall. Mm-hmm. Um, which this once again is no, me- <laughs> no. I'm not a medical doctor, and mm-hmm. we're not talking medicine here. We're we're talking about working together. Uh, But you take Xanax to come down, Mm -hmm. but then the Ritalin, the Adderall, the Vyvanse Mm -hmm. are uppers, Mm -hmm. uh, which is why they work with ADHD uh, is because with ADHD, it counteracts that. So Mm -hmm. it makes your attention come more stable. Mm -hmm. And so literally you were taking Xanax to go down, but Adderall to go up. And so that's where you...
0: Yeah. You know, and I mean, they were even times that I would that I would take Roxy's and then snort cocaine, you mm-hmm. know, it, it was just complete, you know, stupidity. But at the same time it also created the perfect high.
1: Right. Yeah. And and that's where it gets dangerous mm-hmm. is is to know what it is for you, uh, and that, that euphoric feeling of mm-hmm. Well, yeah, everything around me is going wrong, but I don't care right now because mm-hmm. I can't feel anything. Right, and and really, that's what it comes down to is numbing and stopping everything around you, so that you're mm-hmm. in somewhat of a alternate universe. Mm-hmm. You know, people will say, and I'm, I'm sure you've run into this. Alcoholics will say, "Well, the reason I drink is because that's the only way I can sleep." Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's not the reason you drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason you drink is you have some other deep issue that you've not dealt with. That is why you can't sleep. Uh, you're using the alcohol as a, as a, uh, means to pass out, you know, be drunk, pass out everything for to stop. Um, and we come up with all these excuses about why we have to have this and that. So in, in your case, I I wonder, and, and you, and you said you're not on any medicines now.
0: I, of course, I take like vitamins and things like that. And then levothyroxine, very low milligram, like 0.05 for For my thyroid. thyroid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Which, of course, you know, your thyroid health can Mm. manipulate mood behavior, um, that sort of thing. Right. I had a, um, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on a podcast, so our listeners have said this before, just fast forward through this. But I had a church member Mm -hmm. who uh, was a veteran, older. Mm -hmm. And he called me one day, which he like never called me. You know, you have those members that you talk to when you see them, but you just never get a phone call from them. Right. And he he called me and he said, I just wanted to tell you that I'm going to kill myself. I've got a gun right here. I just wanted you to know I'm killing myself. And I said, well, I hate to hear that, but if you think that's what you need to do, then then let's do that, but wait until I get there. I, I don't want you to die alone. So wait until I get there, which bought me time to get over there. And so in talking to him, I got him to go to the VA for treatment. This was right when COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Well they turned him away because he said that he wanted to kill himself, not that he was going to kill himself. And and so I was I I almost went to jail. So I went mm. over there and pitched a fit. You I know, because VA you. is federal property and the uh. police were out there. But he got committed. Okay, good. Well, um, so then he's in this mental health ward and I would call him and talk to him and he would talk. I mean, he's he was always a very happy guy, and he mm-hmm. would talk and he would carry on. And then he would say, Who is this anyway? <laughs> and i'd say well this is this is your preacher and he said i've not been to church in 30 years and oh. i'm going and so my immediate thought was what medicine are they giving him right well long story short uh he died a week after that from a massive brain tumor and so the suicidal thoughts and tendencies were not a mental health issue it was a neurological issue wow so I think that, and I preach this a lot, is that any mental health condition, you really, really, really need to be medically cleared in conjunction with your therapy. Um, and, and, you know, you, you had mentioned in the first part of this that uh, you're not knocking medication by right. any means. Mm-mm. But um, it works for some people. It doesn't work for mm-hmm. others. But what we have found is the best results come from the use of them in conjunction with each other. And as we learn to manage our anxiety, as we learn to manage those triggers, uh, we can come off of medicine. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some disorders, uh, bipolar disorder, one of them, uh, borderline personality disorder, where you're going to have to take that medicine for a prolonged period of time, if not indefinitely.
0: And sorry to interrupt. Sure. So, just a side note, just mm-hmm. to let you know, I was actually diagnosed with both of those things as well. Okay. The personality disorder, as well as bipolar, mm-hmm. when I was in Compass, mm-hmm. I think, in Circe. And I don't know how accurate that was. I don't know how much of my stuff was just a drug induced diagnosis, mm-hmm. but, you know.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So bipolar two and Borderline Personality Disorder are mm-hmm. often misdiagnosed as each other. Mm-hmm. So you could have had a dual diagnosis just because you fit both parameters for both diagnoses mm-hmm. when it may not have been both things. It may have just been one thing. However, being in an altered state of mind, mm-hmm. you really can't make a diagnosis because we're not talking to Lexi. We're talking right. to whomever here. Um and and so uh, you know, bipolar uh, being a mood disorder, BPD being a personality disorder, you're on two different
2: mm-hmm.
1: two different spectrums there of of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, in going to therapy today,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, knowing all of this, mm-hmm. how do you maintain sobriety without medication?
0: That is a great question. How do I maintain sobriety without medication? Well, I would say the number one way that I do it is just simply based off of my decision to not use drugs or alcohol any longer. You know, one of my things that I like to tell people is you just got to make up your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to decide within deep within yourself I'm just over it. I'm not going to do it anymore. So I would say, number one, that I don't waver anymore. It's like, so there's, I've never been so sure about anything. In in addition to my relationship with Jesus, um, that it's gotten to the point that it's not that I don't do it because I don't want to be a sinner or I don't want to, you know, have repercussions, but it's more like, how could I? After everything that God has done for me and after he has been so good to me and so merciful, it would just almost be like spitting in the face of grace and mercy. Mm -hmm. And that scares me Yeah, to do anything of that nature, not because the wrath of God would come down on me, but because the conviction following that would tear my heart to pieces. So it... That right there is where it moves from religion keeping you sober to relationship keeping you sober. How could I How could I ever do that amongst what I have between the Lord and I because I love Him so much, you know, type thing. And there's nothing that I would ever want to do to kind of cut off that connection. Like I was talking to a girl on the phone last night, and she said that when she does something that she knows she's not supposed to do, it's as if there's the sunroof over her. And through the sunroof, God shines down on her and she feels his warmth and love. But when she does something wrong, it's as if the sunroof closes and she feels cut off. Mm. And that I I never want to experience that again, that cut off feeling. So number one, making up my mind. Number two, spiritual reasons. Um, Number three, filling my life with good things. You know, I think that it says um, somewhere in the Psalms that uh, He restores our youth and fills our life with good things, and that in itself, just filling my life with good things—not harmful things, not toxic environments, not damaging people—but just good things. For one one thing, for example, that is huge in my life is health and wellness, fitness, going to the gym. So, I love it. And I know that that's like a common thing amongst people Mm -hmm. that have recovered from addiction. But I mean, they go
1: from a bad addiction to a healthy addiction.
0: Yes. And I freely admit that that's me. I am so stereotypical, the person that goes from being out of their mind, crazy addicted to I love the gym Mm -hmm. type thing. And I actually plan to uh, compete for my first time this summer and be in a show in July. But um, to like have that, you know, you always talked about having something to look forward to, having something that you're working towards that as well as um, just the process of being healthy. So I've never cared about my body as much as I do now, not in a vain sense, but in a, oh my goodness, my body is a temple. I should honor the Lord by the way that I take care of it and the way that I maintain it and things of that nature. So just having those healthy outlets, as well as the healthy relationships. My husband is my best friend you know, we have good, healthy friends. I'm, um, you know, I'm working on my degree. I, um, obviously my job, I serve and help lead women out of brokenness and addiction into wholeness and life, you know, just kind of having positive, good things in my life as opposed to constant negativity, constant chaos.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, one thing that, that I want to point out, too, is that when you went to Harbor Home for the first six months, you are, for lack of a better word, excluded from the general public. Mm-hmm. Uh, no phone, no car. You stay there on campus. Um, and, and you are completely, uh, while you're not confined, you're confined. You could walk away at any time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you were there. I have found that people who are addicted, while their personality may not be as such, while they are addicted, they find a lot of friends who share their same addiction in Mm -hmm. some sort of they are social butterflies of sorts that can find Mm -hmm. these other people. If I went out today and said, I'm I'm gonna go find somebody who can sell me some Adderall, I would not know where to even start you know and I, I,
0: I could point you in the right direction and you could
1: you know you yes. you have that ability to know what that person may look like how they might act how they mm-hmm. might and so the whole point of confinement
2: mm-hmm.
1: is to After six months, somebody that you used to talk to and sell you drugs probably isn't even going to talk to you if you tried to call them. Oh, no. Or have a new phone number that wouldn't even work anymore. Mm -hmm. And so to those people who are say, okay, I'm going to go to rehab, uh, but I'm just going to do outpatient, Mm -hmm. I, I tell them, one, it's not going to work unless you go to a rehab and do outpatient. 200 miles from here Mm -hmm. where nobody knows who you are and you get rid of your cell phone number. You delete all of your contacts Mm -hmm. and you go.
0: Yes. Yeah. And you basically have to press the reset button on your life. So you cannot expect to get clean and stay clean if you don't wipe everything out and start fresh. So I had to get a new number. I mean, even down to a new cell phone, just because of the memories and emotional attachments to that particular phone. I mean, new email, new Snapchat, new Instagram, new Facebook, even down to a new iTunes account. I mean, I needed a new vehicle. I needed a, I needed a whole new sense of self mm-hmm. because memories are so powerful and they're attached to almost everything. Mm-hmm. In addition to just your old people being able to reach out to you and connect with you, and that still happened. You can't completely avoid that, but um, you can definitely minimize it.
1: Sure, yeah, and, and you know, uh, relation within structure, which I think structure is the biggest thing to any recovery. Um, but the second thing would be relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's just something about knowing that there is somebody there who cares about you that has gone through what you're going through. And uh, some of the best substance abuse counselors Mm -hmm. that I've ever had any workings with were people who were addicts at one time Mm -hmm. because they get it. They understand. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so when, when, there's terminology used that only an addict would understand, mm-hmm. that counselor understands and, and can can help them and, and coach them through mm-hmm. certain instances. So the problem is, is once again, the control. The mm-hmm. addict doesn't want to give Now, they'll give control up for 72 hours to detox, mm-hmm. but that's because they know at when the clock strikes 72 hours, I'm out of here.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: they won't always commit to a prolonged period of time. yeah. Because of the control, right. they, they have this need to be in control. And as you said, it wasn't until you gave up control mm-hmm. that you found sobriety. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that is done spiritually or whether that is done physically uh, or through some other higher power or determination that somebody may have, the first step is admitting that you have the problem.
0: Right, right.
1: And mm-hmm. once you admit it, then you have to realize that, okay, if you're in control, then if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to have what you've always had. Mm-hmm. There's this old saying that I love, you can make good time going the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And that's because you don't even realize you're going the wrong direction. And then there comes that point, and in your case, where you, you were arrested and, and things that transpired there the suicidal thoughts the suicidal attempts that this isn't right Mm -hmm. this isn't who i am and somewhere in there you found that glitter of hope where i think you said your mother kind of forced you to go Mm -hmm. and and probably you you cherish her just for that one simple fact that she made you go oh
0: my goodness i mean She saved my life. Of course, ultimately, it was God who saved my life, but it was through my mother, Hmm. for sure.
1: As someone who—and you've been sober four years, did you say? Almost five. Almost five. Okay. Mm -hmm. So do you ever get those—which, you know, smell brings back memories more than anything, any other sense. But do you ever go somewhere and you smell something and it gives you that instantaneous Mm -hmm. want? Oh, yeah. And so in those moments, how do you how do you work through that moment?
0: So I would say one of the biggest things I've had to grieve, you know, most people grieve when people die. I also grieved when my addiction died mm. because um, we had a lot of good memories together. Right. <laughs> and yeah. I enjoyed that to a certain degree until it kind of stabbed me in the back and got me into a whole bunch of trouble and lost myself. But- One of the biggest things that I miss is smoking weed. I'm just going to be so honest. Mm. I loved weed. And it was so good for me with my anxiety and with my just seriousness that it, I mean. Wait,
1: you smoke weed and it made you serious or mm, the seriousness went away? The seriousness
0: went away. I was
1: about to say, maybe we need to do some (laughs) research into that.
0: No, no, no. Like it made me chill. Mm -hmm. And There's another thing that makes me super chill these days, and it's the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. thank God. But I miss that. And I still, and I'm honest with the girls at the Harbor Home, when I teach, when I preach, when I mentor, you know, there will be, you know, it's all about, right, the five senses. Those things are very powerful. So like, if I smell a certain smell that triggers me to think of, you know, like a day where I smoked or really for me, it's environments Mm. or places. So one of my favorite things that I used to do, because I've always been just kind of like just a tad bit hippie, kind of earthy. And one of my favorite things that I used to do would be to just go somewhere in the woods or in some sort of like you know, nature like environment and just blaze it up. And I would drive sometimes out into the country and try and find little spots that I could park my car and walk into the woods and do it. And even to this day, if I'm driving and I see some like scenery spot where you can sit on the edge of of a mountain and see the overlook and smoke, I think to myself, that would be a good place to smoke. And a part of me mentally is like, oh man, that sucks. Like I don't ever get to experience that again. So I still have those thoughts or like, you know, recently I've had some hard days at work where just the the toll of ministry has just been so weighty on my heart. And it's just hard, you know, like you said, you know, ministry can be hard dealing with people. I would be crazy if I wasn't honest enough to say that I've had thoughts that are like, man, like if I could just take a couple Xans, I would be so chill right now and I could get through this. So those thoughts have gotten lesser and lesser and lesser as each year goes by for me. And I dare to say that, you know, by year six, year seven, I may not even be thinking that I don't anymore. I don't know. I may. Who knows? But I never let it stick in my mind long enough. You know, and it goes back to the whole thing. And I think it's Second Corinthians where it says you take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That's what I have to do. I'm like, hey, that's a thought and it doesn't belong in my mind. So I need to take it captive and I need to replace it with truth. And the truth is, is that I have been freed so that I may not be, you know, burdened to the slavery again. You know, I think it's Galatians like five one or something like that you have been set free. So don't let yourself be burdened again by yoke of slavery. And I'm like, no way in heck would I ever let myself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. It's not worth thinking on it. Because the thing is, is I know realistically, every action first starts with a thought. So it goes from thought, to action, And if you let the thought linger long enough, it will become a reality. So I have to take that thought captive and I have to replace it with something else.
1: When we look at the psychology of recovery, mm-hmm. um, we are taught that relapse is a part of recovery. Mm-hmm. W- what would your opinion be on that?
0: Hoping that my boss or no one ever listens to this. I'm <laughs> going to be so honest. And even if they did listen to it, that's totally fine. But that's so true. mm mm-hmm. That is so stinking true. And I don't mean this in any sort of weird, prideful way, but I am the exception to that. And I thank God for it. I have not had any relapses. I had to take pain pills for a little bit because of a knee surgery, but someone administered them to me. Relapse is the reality of recovery. Mm-hmm. And I dare to say, you just I'm going to be so honest with you because I feel comfortable with you. And I don't think... That most people would judge me by saying this, but I dare to say that some people have remained sober longer because they had a relapse at the beginning. And that sometimes some people need to fall on their face one more time just to be assured, okay, that's right. I don't want that life anymore. And sometimes that is what seals the deal for them.
1: Absolutely. Because they see the difference of sobriety and then they remember the. While for the moment it was good, the feeling after they weren't high anymore, that kind of gives them that side-by-side comparison as to where sobriety for a period of time, you're disconnected from that. While you remember it, it's not right there for you to compare.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: so, yeah, I I would agree that relapse is a normal part of, of recovery. Uh, However, I'm not promoting it. Same. I'm not
0: condoning it at all. And something that I like to really, you know, talk about is euphoric recall versus consequential thinking. Mm. So – when you look back on your past, is it a euphoric recall? I can't help but think about all the great memories that took place and all of the fun times I had and all these different things, the positive things about partying and being in addiction. Or does your mind go to the opposite of consequential thinking? Oh, my gosh, if I did that again, I would go to prison. I would lose my job. I would lose my family. I would lose my license. I would, you know, so I think we have to decide which way am I going to think about this. Is it going to be a euphoric recall? Is it going to be a consequential thinking? And I've even, I even have had to sit down myself and make a pros and cons list. This is why I'm not going to smoke weed today. Pros, oh, it would feel so good. You know, I would have so much fun. You know, I would be chill for a second. My anxiety would go away. And then when I make the cons list, I find that it's three times longer Mm -hmm. and I know that that sounds super nerdy, but it helps.
1: Whatever works. Yeah. Sometimes in addictions, we do the comparison of where you remove the bad habit and replace it with a good habit, in such that, you know, and, and you mentioned this in the first half of where drug addicts turn then to working out. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, uh, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but people who are addicted to meth or LSD typically become uh, distance runners. That's kind of <laughs> yeah. what they do. And the reason for that is is that that same endorphin and dopamine that you get from being high, mm-hmm. you now get in a healthy manner by seeing the progress that you have of lifting weights or in the matter of running where you hit that brick wall. Uh, of the running and then you push through it and that euphoric sense of I've mm. pushed through this yeah. that that you get that same kind of high right and so it is really taking out the unhealthy aspect mm-hmm. of it and giving you a healthy aspect of it that that makes the the change a lot of people would say well, I don't want to quit. I know that I've got a problem, but I don't want to quit because I won't have any fun anymore.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought that the day that I went to the Harbor Home, fun died for Mm -hmm. me. And obviously that's not the case. But yeah, I was so sure that I would no longer be able to have fun anymore.
1: Yeah. And and that's such the misconception. It is. Because we we have led ourselves to believe that and and once again, I believe that every addiction is the result of an underlying trauma or mental health condition. Uh, some would argue with that, but that's that's my that's my stance. So when we bowl it all down, we've not taken care of the initial trauma. We are covering it up with now this alcoholism or drug use, mm. and we don't. And just like you said, you would see girls sitting somewhere and be happy and carefree, and you would say, well, I wish I had that. Mm-hmm. We're always looking for that that we want,
2: mm-hmm. but we're
1: doing it in the wrong direction.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we make good time going the wrong direction because for a while we really feel good about ourselves right? until we get to a point of where this isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. This I'm not going to live long if yeah. I keep up this. And and so many so many other things. So we turn to recovery, and um, that's that's where it all begins. And and I would suggest to anybody,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, if you have a problem, get help. Oh yeah. And people aren't going to judge you for having the problem if you are actively trying to help yourself. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference there. Yes, it is embarrassing. Yes, there is shame that comes with that, but would you rather live with that embarrassment and shame mm-hmm. for a couple of days or a couple of weeks mm-hmm. as to live your the rest of your life
0: mm-hmm.
1: as miserable right. as you are in that moment. Right. So it's this this fair trade. Now I will, I'm going to end this DX on a spiritual note, because if you've not heard this before, you can take this and do with what you want. Okay. 1 John 1, 9 says, mm-hmm. if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just mm-hmm. to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. Now, when God does something, he does it right the first mm-hmm. time. Perfectly, right? If God does things right, then why does it say that he will forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of our iniquity, since iniquity is sin?
0: Will you say that again?
1: If God is perfect and God does everything right, Mm -hmm. why does the scripture say he will forgive us of our sins and forgive us of our iniquities if the iniquity and the sin is the same? Because iniquity is unjustness, so sin. So why would he need to forgive us and cleanse us? I have the answer for you.
0: Good, because I don't.
1: Iniquity, if you look up the original word, it is unrighteousness, Mm -hmm. which is the iniquity which is the mark that's left if i told my son luke hey we're going to school it's raining outside don't you dare go out there and jump in that mud puddle and he goes out there and looks straight at me and jumps in that mud puddle the action of jumping is the sin (laughs) the mud that's left on his clothes is the iniquity So what happens is, is that we're forgiven of our sin, but if we continue to hang out with the friends that use drugs, Mm. that iniquity stays on us. Mm. And if you are using drugs, your iniquity can be placed on your husband or your family Mm. or anybody. And so we see this iniquity in in the book of Job. It Mm. says that his friends sowed iniquity in his heart, tried to get him to turn against God, and that it was his friends that threw that on him. But Job stayed faithful. Mm. So in our life, what we do is we have this sin and we start trying to cover it up with everything, drugs, alcohol, whatever that deep, dark rooted problem is, we start trying to cover it up. Mm. The problem is, is that hole is the iniquity. We need something to come in and fill it up so that we don't have to keep trying to cover it up and hide. And so what we do is we turn to the scripture that says, he was bruised for our transgressions. Mm
0: -hmm. He was
1: pierced for our iniquities. He was pierced for our iniquities. If you have a bruise, what happens? Blood is burst. It fills up the crevice. Mm -hmm. That iniquity is only filled by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way in a spiritual sense, that you can stop putting more dirt in the hole with alcohol, with substance abuse, and let that hole be relieved. And the simple answer is all you got to do is ask for it. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it boils down to. But once again, in a psychological sense, it's giving up control. Mm-hmm. It all comes back to us wanting to control. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at it in a spiritual manner, it's that we have to give up control of our lives and, and follow the Lord and his will for our life. But if we once again take religion out, it still comes down to us giving up control
2: mm-hmm. and
1: letting ourselves be led in a healthy way. If I want to lose weight, I've got to go on a diet. Well, that means I've got to give up control of what I eat, mm-hmm. but nobody is controlling me. Mm -hmm. I still make those decisions, but it all boils down to if you want to be healthy, you have to decide for yourself Mm -hmm. that you want it, Mm -hmm. and you can't get sober if you don't want to get sober.
0: Right. It's like the whole make up your mind thing that Mm -hmm. I mentioned. Very true.
1: Absolutely. So tell us once again where we could find Harbor Home, where we can find you on social media.
0: So you can visit us on our website, www.theharborhome.com, or you can follow us on Facebook, The Harbor Home. And I think there's actually two Facebook pages. One was made a long time ago, but you'll see the one that's active and with more followers that you'll want to like and follow. You can also come visit us anytime you'd like. It's 18 Ranchette Road, Conway, Arkansas, 72032. So that's where you'll find the Harbor Home. All right. And the office number, I'm sorry, is 501-499-8622.
1: All right. We'll put all that information in the description of this podcast. We thank you. For joining us here on Doc Talks DX. Uh, hopefully you are following us on all streaming platforms of Doc Talks. And we hope you have enjoyed this conversation, Lexi. Once again, it's been so good to have you with us. I've enjoyed it. And of course, Doc Talks is a part of B Frank Network. You can find all of our podcasts there at BeFrankNetwork.com. Once again, we hope that you have a great day.